they say you can't keep a good man down. Well, Pastor Xavier Reese says, if you're talking the Son of God, why try? They have been plotting to kill Jesus from the very beginning. He has rebuked them, embarrassed them, exposed them. They need to get rid of him. They thought they were in control. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? He says, I am he. And they fell to the ground. He's in control. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Even though the cross was the worst that men could do to Jesus, their worst still couldn't conquer Him. For three days later, His resurrection obliterated the shame of the cross. And as Pastor Xavier takes us to the betrayal and seemingly demise of Him, Jesus merely showed that there was no limit to the love God has for man, even unto the cross. So here's Pastor Xavier with today's Simple Truth. John chapter 18, verse 1 through 11, I've entitled the message, Betrayed by a Friend. The time has come, it is but hours, and Jesus will be betrayed, arrested, tried, and condemned to death on the cross. The treacherous betrayal will be by one of his own disciples, and all the rest will forsake him. Keep that in mind when you think that God does not understand your situation of life. What we want to do is look at the betrayal of Jesus, which describes three things in these 11 verses. First of all, the place of the betrayal in verse 1 and 2. Second, the people at the betrayal verses 3 through 6. And then thirdly, the protector at the betrayal, verse 7 through 11. Uh, Let me read the passage for you. When Jesus has spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. And then Judas having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Then when he said to them, I am he, They drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? The betrayal of Jesus is described by three things. The first of which is the place of the betrayal in verse 1 and 2. Notice first in verse 1 that the place of betrayal 
was journeyed to after Jesus had finished his discourse to his disciples. These words refer to the immediate words in chapter 17, where Jesus has prayed to the Father for himself, for his disciples, and for those who will believe through his disciples. But certainly the words also refer to the entire section from chapter 13 to 17. Remember, Jesus ceases his public ministry in chapter 12. In chapter 13, he begins his private ministry to his disciples. Just hours away, and the next day he will be in the hands of Rome. He's preparing his disciples for his absence, for his departure. He knows their heartache. He knows their disappointment. He knows their misunderstandings. He's telling them of their joy. He's telling them of the Holy Spirit. He's telling them that it'll be better. They don't understand. He's preparing them. Notice, secondly, here in verse 1, that the place of betrayal was via the brook Kidron. John points this out. The brook is located east of the city of Jerusalem, directly outside the east gate of the temple, as one descends into the valley at the foot of Mount of Olives. The brook Kidron, which flowed down the valley of Jehoshaphat, is known in Scripture by the name Kidron, as well as the valley of Jehoshaphat. David crossed this brook barefooted and weeping when he was fleeing from Absalom's usurping of the kingdom in 2 Samuel 15, 23 down to 30. Now, it's significant in that David is a type of Christ. David was betrayed by his close friend Ahithophel, which is a prophetic type of Judas in Psalm 41, I believe. And it's very significant that David, a type of Christ, walked over the brook barefooted, weeping as he was betrayed. And now Jesus, the Son of God, is walking over the Kidron to be betrayed by one of his disciples. The brook had become a frequent crossing place for the Lord, as we see here. Because remember, Jesus never spent a night in the city, right? Jesus always left the city. And he spent it in the garden, as Luke tells us. It is said that there was a canal that led from the temple down to the Kidron, where the blood of the sacrifices drained down. If so, well, how prophetic it is that Jesus now is walking across the Kidron and he sees some of the stained earth by the blood and he himself will be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world in just but hours. How prophetic. Notice thirdly in verse 2, that the place of betrayal was a well-known garden. The garden is not named by John, but the other Gospels tell us that it was called Gethsemane, which means olive press. The betrayer Judas knew of the place, John tells us, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Luke 21, 37, 22, 39, he left the city and he spent the night there often. He never stayed in the city. The garden probably belonged to a friend of his, one of his followers, and, and a very wealthy one at that because only wealthy people could afford their own gardens and their own cemeteries and different things. Uh, Wesley's comments are interesting at this point. He says that not only did Jesus go there for the advantage of secret devotion, but also that the people might not be alarmed at his apprehension 
nor attempt in the first sallies of their zeal to rescue him in the tumultuous manner. If Wesley is right, and it's great insight, here Jesus is going to be betrayed, and he's thinking of the people that love him and would probably try to protect him. He didn't want them to be killed or arrested. That's good insight. A granddaughter of Aaron Burr gave her heart to Christ in an evangelistical meeting one night. That evening, she said to her grandfather, Grandfather, I wish you were a Christian too. He replied, When I was a young man, I went to an evangelistical meeting. I felt my need of God's mercy and forgiveness and knew that I should give my heart to Christ. But I walked out without doing it. I stood under the stars and looked up towards heaven and said, God, if you don't bother me anymore, I will not bother you. Honey, God has kept us part of that bargain. He has never bothered me. Now it is too late for me to bother him. A misspent life filled with shenanigans and treason against the United States followed Aaron Burr's fateful decision. What a difference a decision for Jesus can make in your life. Every decision that you and I make after our decision for Christ, if we're walking, will benefit us. But if our decision is against Christ, then every decision will be wrong. The final end is utter separation. What a difference Jesus makes. Look at your own life. Rehearse it. Examine it closely. Where you would be. How you would be. Divorce. Remarry three, four times. Living with somebody. Into drugs. Alcohol. If you hadn't turned to Christ. Think about it well. What a difference a decision for Jesus makes. But... When a decision is against Christ, it's a decision of treacherous betrayal. Because the invitation is that of love. And there's no worse treachery than against love. The fall of man took place in the garden called Eden in Genesis chapter 3. I don't know if you ever thought about this. It was a betrayal by Adam of God, for he sold out for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. It was a betrayal of trust, having the ability to obey, but choosing not to obey, for Eve was deceived, but Adam transgressed, 1 Timothy 2.14 says. It is the same way with each of us. We betray the Lord every time we choose not to obey to an extent. Because we have the ability to obey. And our choosing is a betrayal of trust and a betrayal against love. For the scriptures are clear that tells us that he will never allow us to be tested more than we're able. But with every testing shows a way of escape, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The redemption of man also took place in the garden. Not only the fall. But the redemption, the victory of the cross was in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Never think the victory was at the cross as a final thing. The victory was in the garden. The cross just manifested the victory. Jesus was resigned after he prayed. 
The victory over sin was evident as Jesus rose from the dead in the garden tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Victory over death. Death entered in through sin in the garden. Then life entered in through death and the judgment of sin in a garden. The excuse that it was Adam's fault and why should you pay for his failure is no longer valid. For you have to choose for yourself as to which garden you want to identify yourself with. The one in Genesis or the one in Jerusalem. It's your choice. The ultimate garden is mentioned in the eternal kingdom of God as we see a river on each side of the river, uh, a tree of life, which bears 12 manner of fruit for the healing of the nations in Revelations 22 too. No more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb of God shall be there, and the servants shall serve him. Revelations 22, 3. The ultimate end. Interesting. Genesis looks towards Revelation. Revelation looks back towards Genesis. And all these things happen in the garden. This was the place of the betrayal, the garden of Gethsemane. Now, John next describes the betrayal by the people at the betrayal, verse 3 through 6. Notice first in verse 3, the betrayer Judas led the crowd. Judas was called a devil by Jesus in John 6, 70. Judas was called by Jesus the son of perdition in John 17, 12. Judas is declared to have gone to his own place at his death when he committed suicide by hanging himself in Acts 1.23. Very unique things that are said of Judas of no one else. Only one other person is called the son of perdition, and that is the Antichrist. Now, notice secondly, we have the detachment of truths representing the authority of Rome. The word for detachment means a tenth of a legion, about 600 men. Now, the thought of 600 men accompanying Judas is hard to believe and accept by some. But it certainly is not impossible. You've got to understand now, let's get the scenario. Jesus has been agitating the religious leaders of the day. They are in cahoots and they have power with the government. Their position is in jeopardy because of Jesus. The people are turning to him. And they need to remove him. If the 600 came, what a sight. If John is using the word cohort as only a part of that amount, we cannot be sure. But when Roman soldiers went to arrest somebody, they were fully equipped for the job. And I would think that 600 would be sufficient to do the job. These men were rugged soldiers of Rome who did not deal kindly with those who opposed Rome in any way. Rome made example of people who would lift their fists at Rome and they would crucify them and, and line their roads with them. So as travelers walked the roads and traveled the roads, they would remember 
that you don't mess with Rome. And it worked for the most part. The Roman soldier and authority was feared by all. You didn't mess with Rome. If you did, you perished. Notice thirdly, still in verse 3 there, the religious officers are also there from the chief priests and Pharisees. These were the plotters of the plan. They have been plotting to kill Jesus from the very beginning. They don't like him. He's gone in and turned over their tables twice, beginning and the end of his ministry. He has rebuked them, embarrassed them, exposed them. They need to get rid of him. Annas, who was the high priest, had a great business going. <laughs> and uh, Jesus was cutting into his business. And I'm sure this didn't go well with him. The officers from the chief priests were the temple police representing the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees, as you know, did not believe in spirits, angels, or the resurrection. They were the materialists of the day and had the temple business all arranged to extort and extort the people money and in sacrifices. Uh, but no wonder they want Jesus gone. They don't believe in spirits, angels, or the resurrection. Jesus is a total contradiction to them, right? But then you have the Pharisees who were the religious leaders and ritualists of that day. They epitomize hypocrisy. Even today, when someone's hypocritical, we call them a Pharisee, right? Self-righteous. They prided themselves in their strict observance of the law. You remember Paul, as he speaks to the Philippians, says, you know, I was a Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, of the strictest of the, of, the, of the sects, a Pharisee, surpassed my contemporaries, blameless in the law. And then he says, and yet I count all these things but a pile of manure for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They thought themselves above the people. There was no more than 6,000 at any one time, uh, we are told by Josephus. So you have Judas, the leader. You have the religious representatives of the day. But fourthly, you have the people, or the troops and the religious leaders. And fourthly, here you have the people. Uh, they came prepared to arrest a criminal. Mark that well. The end of verse 3. They had lanterns, perhaps small dishes with a wick dipped in oil. They had torches with longer poles and the flame on which it was fed by oil. Although it was time of a full moon, yet the valley of the Kidron there fell great deep shadows from the, uh, the caverns and, and, the, and, and the precipice from the mountainside and the jagged rocks, and there were uh, grottos and caves into which fugitives might enter and hide so they would have to search out. And finally, there was probably a garden house tower, uh, one says, into whose gloom it might be necessary for the searchers to throw light around. So they were prepared to search, and they were not going to return 
without their prisoner. They came prepared. They also says it has weapons, which means any tool or implement for preparing a thing to arm oneself and for warfare. They were prepared for whatever. Now, you've got to understand, these guys have seen warfare. These guys know battle. And in their mind, they're probably expecting, because for the most part, I bet you that many of these soldiers never heard of Jesus. Do you realize that you hear of Jesus all the time, but that there are people right across the street from here who have never heard about Jesus? It's possible that people in your own neighborhood have not even heard the name of Jesus. They know nothing about him. And I think that in the days of Jesus, it was like that too, especially through the Roman soldiers. They, there was all kinds of different religious kooks and all that, you know. So in their mind, they might be thinking, we, this guy must really be violent. This guy must really be treacherous. Look at all, look around, religious rulers, and 600 men, and boy. And they're, and they're soldiers. They're keyed up. They're pumped up. They're ready for action. And then, notice fifthly, verse 4 through 6, the Lord Jesus was in control of every situation. They thought they were in control. But here, the Lord Jesus is in control of the situation. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? Jesus knew all that would come upon him. Nothing took him by surprise. He didn't walk out there and say, can you believe that? These guys, they sent 600. He knew it all along. He knew everything, the end from the beginning. The evidence of Jesus' knowledge is all throughout the Gospel of John as well as the others. Remember John 2, 24 and 25? He didn't commit himself to man. He needed nobody to tell him about man because he knew what was in man. He knew everything. And here they're expecting this criminal and Jesus goes forward to meet the band of misfits. <laughs> now get the scenario. The cohort must have been astonished at the actions of Jesus to walk out towards the entry of the garden for they without doubt were expecting a hardened and violent criminal in view of the amount and kind of people that Judas had received to arrest Jesus. It's like the police being called on a call and, and they're all hyped up and SWAT comes in and all that and after all that, they open the door and there's a little kitty there. Go, oh. All hyped up. Here they're coming with lanterns and Jesus walks out towards them to meet them. The cohort perhaps even being thrown off for a moment as Jesus took control of the situation. Mark that well. Jesus took control of the situation. Jesus initiates and asks them who they were seeking. He already knew who they were looking for, even as the other Gospels record that he went to the disciples who were sleeping and told them to rise and to pray lest they should enter temptations, Luke twenty-two forty-six. John doesn't tell us this. He knew the disciples were going to be sleeping. They always, they, they were always, you know, they remind me of teenagers. Sleeping. But they remind me a lot of people in the church. Sleeping. Always sleeping. 
He knew that it was in fulfillment of the prophecies, as it says right there. He's in control. Pastor Xavier Reese, drawing our time to a close today with a vivid picture of Jesus, truly providing himself as the sacrificial lamb. Now, you may be interested to know that today's presentation can be heard again anytime by way of the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And there's still much more to come of today's in-depth study right here next time as well. But if you prefer your own personal copy on CD, we can make one available for only $4 upon request. Let us know today's date or ask for this study by name, Betrayed by a Friend, when you write to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Once again, the title to ask for is Betrayed by a Friend, and we'll get that right out to you. Just address your request to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, let us know the call letters of the station you hear us on. As good stewards, we like to keep track of where our radio ministry is being most effective. Next time, Pastor Xavier has more on the place and players of the betrayal of Jesus and the victory he handed us there. Join us then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com